When I was 21 years old, I was diagnosed with what's called pervasive developmental disorder, not otherwise specified. Two years later, I was diagnosed with what's called Asperger syndrome. Now, there were so many different diagnoses for various ranges of autism, which made it very confusing and very difficult to receive resources related to the condition. Somebody got together, a bunch of people got together, updated the DSM, and now it's called the autistic spectrum. The spectrum itself really relieved my anxieties and it really helped with my growth with understanding the condition because when you meet one person that has autism you've only met one person with autism we are so unique in so many different ways that you cannot really apply a, a, that condition and say i i you know i understand autism now one person our lived experience is different it's so vastly different and to but one thing though is that autism itself is a language of its own so i'm not bilingual so i speak english and khmer but i also have the language of autism and i really spent a lot of time trying to learn the language of neurotypicals neurotypicals is you if you don't have if you're not on the autistic spectrum but um in doing so i had to create a mathematical equation in my head to be able to decipher and encode and break apart information that i cannot understand like metaphors similes figures of speech idioms i i do utilize it in my vocabulary but it's still not something that i fully comprehend so like when somebody i see information um and images so, i mean i see everything exclusively in in images or pictures and i have to splice those images to create the the content that i'm attempting to convey so when somebody uh like says oh that's water under the bridge i literally see water flowing under the bridge i had to create an algorithm or or essentially a, like i said a mathematical equation in order to comprehend that they're trying to say the past is behind us but then i had to figure out okay what does the past is behind us mean so it's just it's just like rabbit hole into rabbit hole into rabbit hole but i've gotten a firm grasp to be able to speak neurotypical but there's something that kind of happened during all of this process. I mean, this is a process of my entire life. Like I didn't learn that I was autistic and start trying to learn neurotypical speech. It was an all life situation. Like I, you know, was born into this in this this specific way. Um but when with doing this and why I'm explaining this to you right now is that I code switch So code switch in linguistics is the best way for me to explain it is is language is very very complicated. Um you know when I speak English and Khmer those words meld together sometimes because there's certain words in English that doesn't translate well in Khmer. There's certain words in Khmer that doesn't translate well in English. Even with our the English vernacular, I code switch between 
what's deemed proper English and queer language. I'd also code switch with my autistic language and neurotypical speak. So it, it's it's very interesting for me to say that I am fully aware of what I do, but I don't have control over it. So when I am speaking with the different guests that I have, you're going to notice different behaviors of speech, how I, how I communicate with the different individuals. Um, I'm not quote unquote being fake. It's just there are different parts of me that has that activates in response to how comfortable I am with these individuals or um, what I need to, to, to communicate. And then those different parts come on in order to, to help me navigate through uh, conversation. Now, my vocabulary is, is vastly different than the vocabulary of individuals around me. So even though I say words like white supremacy, racism, uh, decolonization, I wanted to utilize this episode to kind of give you a background of the word. So almost like creating a rubric for, for future episodes. So welcome. This is de facto. So the very first thing I wanted to talk about is uh, three categories, which is race, nationality, and ethnicity. Race is essentially what you see, the physical characteristics that marks individuals within their groups. So it could be hair texture, skin color, eyes, even eye shapes. Um, and they utilize this to categorize like Asians, Africans, Caucasians. For the, for the context of my podcast, I want you to kind of push that aside. Don't like throw it away, but like just push it aside because I don't really want to focus on race per se in the context of our conversations. So I, you know, we are going to be mentioning race um, depending on the individuals that will be coming on, but I, I, before you can even understand race, there's other things that I would like you to have a, a focus to understand. Um, and then the, the, which it goes to the next uh, section, which is uh, nationality. So, so nationality is basically where you are born and that basically that country becomes your, your nationality. So individuals that, for example, that are Khmer, aren't necessarily Cambodian because Cambodian is the nationality of Cambodia. So I refer to myself as Khmer, but I used to not understand the complexity of nationality because I am an American. So I'm Khmer American, whereas Cambodian, again, is usually reserved for individuals that are residing in Cambodia. Now, my emphasis and focus on this podcast is going to be on ethnicity. So there's a difference between ethnicity and race. So ethnicity is more complicated. That's where like the meat and bones are, where in a sense, like when I talk about ethnicity, I'm talking about language. So an individual spoken language, it could also be culture 
So culture could be composed of, of the values of a specific group of individuals in a specific geographic location. So they're, you know, like American values is is kind of ingrained into that the ethnicity but we we kind of get confused with the conversations when you're talking about like nationality but you're actually talking about ethnicity but you're trying to talk about ethnicity but you're actually talking about race and and with with my work in in inclusion and my work with advocacy i always see that like i live in iowa iowa is white country like 91 percent white they have the very basic understanding of the complexity of ethnicity. So I thought that maybe I could like kind of shape the state to kind of understand it a little bit more, but I had to take a step back and decide to do this on a global scale, hopefully global um, scale in order to educate, but also not focus on groups of individuals that can't fully comprehend the concept just yet so it takes so much energy and i really don't want to spend that energy in that way um so when it, when it comes to ethnicity and the, the complications that i face or that we face as individuals of color individuals that are are refugees immigrants um individuals that essentially don't fit the mold of the, the the national views of what an American is. It just crosses that line, that, that thin barrier between nationality and ethnicity. And one of the most dangerous things I feel is nationalism in, in, in a sense of this, this love for the country, but defining it through the context of either race or, or ethnicity. Uh, that a lot of genocides actually comes from that that sense of nationalism where where the the lines are starting to blur within ethnicity. So like Cambodia with the various genocide and the erasure of various ethnic groups. You look at the Holocaust and and what they did with their nationalism, where they started to essentially purge a basic ethnic group. So I I find that in order to kind of frame yourself in order to immerse yourself into this podcast, kind of focus on ethnicity and then branch yourself out once you kind of get the whole concept of it. And then we can start talking about race. We can start talking about nationality. But but the, the individuals that I will be, be bringing on, the focus is, again, ethnicity. So explore that do a little bit more research on your own. Um, I I just really want you to kind of separate race and nationality just for now until you kind of get a firm grasp of, of ethnicity. And when I you know, utilize the word white supremacy, you know, when you pull up the, the dictionary, you're gonna see the, the dictionary basically saying, you know, white people who feel they are superior and are the superior race. Yes, that is the definition for white supremacy, but I want you to not grasp that word with my vocabulary and the concept of America, but a global issue. When I look at white supremacy, it infects every single human being that's born on this earth. 
one way, shape, or form. So, so let me explain. Again, uh, I'm going to be focusing on Cambodia, the country. So, Cambodia, ancient empire. So, the the, the Khmer Empire. We had uh, a caste system. So, a caste system had your king, followed by the elites, followed by peasants, and then slaves. Yes, Cambodia had slaves. Uh, slaves were usually acquired through the church. Um, a lot of the a lot of the not church, but like the temples, uh, the, the religious leaders utilize these slaves for like dance uh, or entertainment or whatever they needed for like religious purposes. There were slaves that were acquired through um, the mountainous tribes. So they, they went, you know, the lower land Khmer. So I, I, I believed in my language, those individuals were called Khmer Le upper Khmer, like basically the people that lives up on the mountains. And these individuals are indigenous people. But what what the the uh, Khmer Empire, what they did with slavery is where they went out and, and uh, plucked those people from their homes and made them slaves in the lower areas of Cambodia. Now, there were also individuals that were, you know, you commit a crime, you become enslaved. So th- there's a lot of ways you can become a slave in Cambodia. But a little bit of history uh, with the country itself is that they are all of a specific shade of brown, but there was different complexions. So there's like a contrast of light and dark. And one of the very early stages of discrimination was colorism, that the sense that if you had lighter skin, you were better you were an, an elite and when you had darker skin you know you're working out in the sun and you know slave labor or laborious tasks would would indicate that you had uh you were lesser than because of your 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 job or whatever you were doing for work that required you to be out in the sun but that's also a misconception that Khmer folks really have about the the caste system because Cambodia again is a mixing pot so what i find is that individuals migrated from northern china as far as uh india but there were also migrations patterns that came from the Melanesian uh, countries. So uh, like Fiji, that Fiji uh, Solomon area. And what really happened with the migration is that uh, Melanesian and Polynesian individuals started to essentially mate, which created new offspring that was a mixture of those two countries. countries or countries of origins and a lot of there was a lot of migration to where is now Vietnam and from there they migrated to Cambodia and they started to live in the mountainous areas so these individuals that were plucked had deeper darker skin Melanesia basically loosely translates to the land of black people I might be wrong but it's 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 loosely translated to that, I believe. But so as this was happening, they, they were they were grabbing and enslaving individuals of Melanesian descent. And these individuals had deep, dark 
skin because their ancestors migrated from Africa. So at a very young stage of Cambodia, when they started creating the caste system, there was already anti-Blackness being established because of the process of slavery. Now, Cambodia, the Khmer Empire did not get along with their neighbors. So we had Siam, or which is now Thailand, and then we had Vietnam. So those two different uh, locations were at war with with Cambodia. So they, they did a lot of pillaging, taking, you know, you, you conquer an area and you take their women as prize, and vice versa. But so so as Cambodia, the Khmer Empire was 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 pillaging and raiding, they would take women from Vietnam and women from you know, what what's now Thailand and and essentially most likely raped them, producing additional offspring that are now more of a mixing pot than than a, a specific racial ethnic group. So over time that started to create more and more ethnic groups with also migration from again China and India and you know parts of Africa. And, and over time Cambodia just became just just this mixing pot. And now we all are Khmer, but we are Khmer of various ethnic groups that that again like migrated so i'm just i'm getting over and repeating myself i apologize but it's what, what intrigues me with that is that um the the british colonized uh what is now thailand and the french i believe occupied vietnam so the khmer empire was a set was just like the border between two other countries that were almost at war with each other. So like these three countries are just always like bickering and fighting. And what happened later on was that the Khmer Empire started to lose power due to the different conflicts that was happening. And the king at the time decided, I need help. So he reached out to France and France said, sure, we will uh, be more than happy to assist. So they occupied the area. They occupied what is now Cambodia and uh, colonized the area to now make essentially the king just a puppet for France. And they created a brand new caste system because they took Cambodia and abolished slavery. But what's really interesting, the it's just it they didn't really abolish slavery. They just almost essentially enslaved Cambodia and got rid of the slaves because you know it's counterproductive to have slaves own slaves. But they didn't interfere with like commerce. They didn't really interfere with uh, the government of Cambodia. They just occupied that area. But they also created tension between Cambodia and Vietnam. Vietnamese had lighter skin, so the French took advantage of that, and they started creating conflict, additional conflict between the two countries. But also at the same time, they colonized both countries. So they started realizing that, okay, I could put two different ethnic groups at this, this, this steady pace of conflict 
in order to maintain balance. Because the moment that they realized that they could, you know, rebel is the moment that they would lose power. So they pit two ethnic groups together. So the so Cambodia is now more unified because now they hate Vietnam. Vietnam hates Cambodia. And they they basically took advantage of that. So the the whiteness of Vietnam, the lighter skin felt that they were better than individuals living in Cambodia. So that was the like the earliest that I can see within this this area, this region, uh, with with Cambodia in general, that I started to see what white people can do in terms of structuring that that sense of white supremacy. They don't need to actually, you know, start enforcing these harsh rules. They they were able to manipulate the two countries to basically keep each other in check. So. Like when I look at that basic structure, I just see how destructive white supremacy is and how it infects individuals who aren't even white. So when I talk about white supremacy, I normally don't talk about whiteness in the sense of white people. I, I, I speak of it as the, the infection that it is and how it entangles every single human being in this existence and it it's evolves it continuously evolves with the times where we don't even know that we are affected by it and it gaslights the shit out of us to have these conflicts conflicts that we can resolve but we refuse to because of the bad blood that is between the different racial groups that are essentially fighting one another. So when I when I speak on white supremacy, I frame it through not for like an individual racial group. I view it as an issue that affects every single person and we can't resolve it alone. We need to work together. But white supremacy is a white person issue. And and in order to fix the issue, white people need to be involved. So just framing that for you to 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 digest. I know I spoke like really fast, maybe, and just trying to get your brains going to kind of understand where where I'm coming from when I when I say that. So so that when you hear that word, I'm I'm I hope you don't get triggered enough that you turn this off because this is work y'all need to work and we need to work together when i when i talk about decolonization so decolonization is basically undoing that infection that is white supremacy so so the things that the french did to create that that tension between two countries I know that there were war, there was like you know war even before that happened, but the the conflict changed when the French occupied Cambodia, and the things that that happens now when 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 we like in America for example like the workplace professionalism professionalism in the workplace is absolute bullshit. So that is an aspect of 
decolonization that I would like to address and something that it's a, it's a bigger, bigger issue that affects every single person in America. But professionalism is, is essentially a, a process that, that keeps persons of color from growing, from getting a job at a specific location. You know, you, you have to dress a certain way. But what if, what if your socioeconomic status does not allow you to, to purchase the, the required, you know, garments in order to get a job? And they structure it to how you articulate your words. But American vernacular is so complex. So, you know, when we have the Black community having a vernacular that is unique to the culture, but now deeming that unprofessional, that is a way to suppress and a way to basically have the Black community be underemployed, meaning they don't have the ability to move up into leadership roles because of the vernacular that they use. And I, I do hear a lot of stories where individuals are not promoted because their voice, their speaking style is intimidating here in Iowa. And when I hear that, it just, it just pisses me off because I have, don't have the ability to like, you know, correct that, but even bringing it up, talking about it becomes a conflict with the various employers that that are engaging in this way. So when I talk about decolonization, it's basically like undoing the stuff that has been infecting us for the many years, hundreds, thousands of years, that structure of whiteness being the savior or whiteness being better. Because we do have a sense of caste system in in America, it's just that we don't acknowledge it because, you know, you acknowledge it and you start to work to fix it. Well, everything starts to crumble in terms of the white supremacist values of basically suppression. Now, when I talk about racism, so racism is a loaded term that really bothers me right now. Um, racism, in a sense, should not be used as a weapon, but individuals are now doing that. So like they don't comprehend the complexity that is racism, but when you know you call somebody out on racism, their response is, "You are racist for calling me racist," and it just it just eliminates the the dialogue that's needed that we need to have about that word. So one of one of the the key elements of racism is the the perception of racial superiority, the the thought that I am better than you because I am white. I am better than you because I am Asian. But that's just the one component of racism that I want you to, um, to focus on. The other one is how is racism infused in legislation? How is racism infused in the de facto procedures? How is racism affecting individuals? So, you know, being white, it's difficult for me to, to hear like white people say, you are racist to me. 
yes, it, it, I could potentially feel like I'm racially superior and I'm not, I don't feel that I am, but like, even if that is the case, the structures that are there, the structures that legislative bodies that, that governs this country does not benefit me in the ways that it benefits white communities. And, and you see that with, with the loan practices, with, uh, you know, with redlining, with there's, there's so many instances where whiteness succeeds because of the laws that, that are created in response to, again, white supremacy. So when, when we do have those, those discussions and the dialogues about how do, we, how do we fix this, we need to understand what this even is. Racism, it, it embodies almost every single aspect of who we are and we don't understand that it is racist. So, or, or we don't understand what racism is. So when I, you know, if I'm like out there speaking and talking about racism, like the individuals that understand it, that experience it will gravitate and, and we would kind of have a, a mind meld of, you know, it's just like, I see you, you see me, we get it. But when I work with like youth summits and such, and I see like the white teenagers, like with their body postures, they're, they're like push their, their chests back as far as they can, or they like kind of dip into trying to dip themselves into the floor while sitting in their chair. I see that discomfort, but just remember if you're uncomfortable with this conversation, you're learning something if you keep listening. So so when we talk about racism and, you know, when, when individuals are like, why are we always talking about racism? It's because we don't quite grasp or understand it yet. For us to be able to understand it, we need to throw our bodies into it, to understand it, to listen to our bodies, to be able to understand that what you are feeling, that discomfort, you it, it, if you're not feeling uncomfortable, you're not really learning anything. So... It's, it's something that, like, racism is something that I'm still learning. So, so I'm talking to you like, oh, I'm a professional. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I, I'm still learning myself about my internal racism. I acknowledge that I am racist. But I don't, I, and I'm trying to do this in such a way where I don't make it a bad word. But the behaviors that comes out of the, the aspects of racism is a bad thing for this country. And I want to be able to be a country where you somebody can call me out for racism. I have to acknowledge what I did to that individual to, to have to exude that behavior where they felt uncomfortable, that I, behaviors that I may have said or done that is inherently racist that I don't know. That is how we grow. Uh, I I refer to myself as a colored person. When I talk about specific communities, like Black communities, I will say the Black community. But when I'm talking about persons of color, I refer to it as colored person. I was called out and I was hesitant. Like, why are you calling me out for calling out injustice of colored people. 
and what I what I learned through that process was was the the word itself bared so much history and pain for the black community. I I didn't realize the disrespect that I was putting out there on social media by referring to persons of color as colored. And it took that that my body to push against that to question why exactly does this hurt this individual in that way and question myself in a sense of is it going to take energy to change my vocabulary it is going to but it's going to create a better environment for that individual to have one less person refer to persons of color as colored so those are just just things that I I I I work on because I inherited I inherited colorism I inherited racism due to colorism so we didn't have a lot of individuals of African descent in Cambodia but we moved to America and we have individuals of African descent. So that colorism morphed into racism. And that dynamic really kind of shapes the, the differences between Khmer communities in America and Khmer communities in Cambodia. And, and that's, that's something that I really hope I could pierce through within the Khmer community to understand that, yes, we are racist as fuck and we need to learn how to work on that and i really hope that you put some energy and time into figuring out ways to work on this together so thank you for your time today this is de facto tony cut thank you so much for spending your time with me today please go to defactotk.com. Again, it's defactotk.com. That's D-E-F-A-C-T-O-T-K.com. My voices are rarely heard in the political arena. I thank you for dedicating time to learn and grow with me. Please help me grow by sharing this site with your family and friends. Please also like, subscribe, and share my podcast if you find this interesting. I appreciate it. You have a great day.